0: Everybody say this. Say, my seed is all I need. My seed is all I need. Let's look at, again, at what Jesus said. We've been covering the Scripture in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 26. Mark 4, 26. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed or plant seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day. So we have the picture of of, of a farmer that has seed in his bag And he goes out and he begins to plant the seed into the ground." What I like about this is that they said then he goes and sleeps by night and rises by day. In other words, once he plants the seed in the ground, you don't worry about it no more. He doesn't have to worry about it anymore. He did his job. If you have seed, you don't eat the seed, you plant the seed. If you want to harvest, come on somebody, you got to plant the seed. And once the seed is planted, you can go back and you know, rest, take your, uh, take your rest, get up in the morning, take care of your responsibilities, and don't have to give it another thought because the seed will produce what it's supposed to produce. Then it says this, and the seed should sprout and grow. So there's an expectation that it will sprout and grow, in other words, grow grow roots, and then grow through the surface. The farmer does not know how. He doesn't have to know exactly how the seed works mechanically or mysteriously or however you're going to put it. He just knows if I plant it, it's going to give me a harvest. For the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. So again, this, the, the, the farmer, without any care, any concern, plants the seed, doesn't think about it anymore. He knows he can walk away from the seed, doesn't have to redig the seed out in a month or so to look to see how things are going. If he just leaves it alone, the earth by itself will bring forth what? The blade, the head, the full grain, and the head. In other words, there's a process. You have the promise. In the seed of the provision that you need, but you've got to go through the process of faith to get it. It's gonna take some faith, believing on your part. Nobody likes the process because the process is something you can't normally see with your eyes. You have to trust God that what you did was of his spirit, and it's gonna bring forth the promise or the provision or the fruit. Amen, somebody. So I gotta go through the process. So every time I walk from the I plant the seed to the harvest, I'm going through the process. It's gonna require my faith, but God says faith will cause you to overcome faith. Faith will move mountains. Faith pleases God. Amen. I'm going to try not to preach this too soon. But when the grain ripens, immediately the farmer puts in his sickle the implement of harvest because he knows the harvest has come. No more guesswork. No more worry. By faith he walked through the process. There are people here today, you've been asking God to heal your body. And you have not seen the results of it yet. But you planted the seeds of faith to say, Lord, by your stripes I'm healed. I'm not going to be healed. I am healed. I'm the healed of the Lord no matter how it looks. I'm healed. Now what are you doing? You're walking through the process by faith, believing that God is going to give you a harvest. And when the harvest comes, come on somebody, happy days. And the happy days are, I walked it out by faith. I never let go of my promise and here comes the harvest. Let me make this statement again to you today. God can't give you what you're unprepared or unwilling to manage. He looks to see what he has given you, what he has put in your hand. And if you're not prepared or willing to manage that properly, how can he give you more than that? David is a great example of this in the Word of God, one of my favorite people. You know how you identify with certain people? I identify with David the most, I think. And I love David. Uh, His stories, I guess, maybe just speaks to me, probably speaks to everybody in this room, to be honest with you. Nobody believed in David. Matter of fact, let me just back this up for just a second. There was a king that God didn't choose, but the people chose. God wanted to be king over Israel, but the people said, we want a natural king like all the other nations have. And we got a pretty good-looking guy, and he's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He looks like a king. We want him to be our king, and his name is Saul. God granted what the people wanted. He wanted to be king. But if that's what you want, I'll help you. I'll bless you. I'll, I'll let this take place. And so he called for the prophet. And the prophet was there to anoint the king. So he anoints Saul to be king. Well, the Bible talks about, without getting all the history of this, the Bible talks about how Saul was told to do something and Saul disobeyed a direct order and command from God because he was more afraid of what the people thought than what God thought. Do you want a leader that's afraid of the people or afraid of God? Which one do you want? we got to have some leaders that actually obey God because God said to do it. God forbid we get behind somebody, come on, that's weak need, and can't stand up to people because they're afraid of them. Amen, church, amen. I didn't get in this thing for a popularity, but to be honest with you, I didn't want to get in this thing at all. I find some of the best leaders are those that never wanted the position. i got people all the time, going, I want to be a man of God, I want to stand in the pulpit and preach the gospel. Start up in your bathroom. <laughs> preach to that man in the mirror. Come on, somebody. Start right there. And when you're faithful to that, maybe God will give you somebody else to preach to. My my, my point is not to belittle it. My point is you don't want leadership. The real truth of it, you really don't want it. The truth of it is when you understand the responsibility, most of the time you want to run from it. But now that I'm in that position, I know I need God to help me. I know I need his grace. I know I need his approval because it's just too hard of a position. Therefore, I'm more concerned with what God's got to say about my life than any other man's got to say about my life. And when you get like that, you'll start walking into freedom. I wish the back half of the church would say, Amen. Come on now. You're going to help me preach this today? So, so, so he blew it. And God said, I pull my anointing from him, he's done. I reject him as king over Israel. I will choose me another king. Samuel, go anoint me another king. Get your horn of oil and go to where I tell you. And he told him to go to Jesse's house. He goes to Jesse's house. And Jesse has all boys, all these boys, good-looking guys. And um, he gets to the house. And Jesse tells him what he's here to do. He says, God spoke to me. There's a king in your house. Bring me all your sons. So he brings in the sons, one by one, into the house. And one by one, God rejects each one of them and says, that's not the king. That's not the king. He goes to every single one. That's not the king. Now, there's nobody else in the house. And so he goes, wait a second. God sent me here and there's no more sons. Are you telling me that you have no more sons? Yeah, I got one other boy. Hmm. His name is David. We keep him kind of in the back, you know. And you know, he's kind of young and he's got a lot to learn. And I got him keeping a few sheep on the back side of the hill over there. And, uh, you know, he's not what we call kingly. You sure it's not one of my other boys? He said, Bring me this, David. So he brings David in the house and when he sees David, the spirit of God falls on Samuel and said, he's the one I've chosen. Don't let anybody talk you out of who God chose you to be. I don't care if nobody sees it, including your natural father, may not see the greatness on the inside of you, but God chose. He chose you. That'll preach. I should just say amen and call it a day right there. Am I right? God saw. And when God, when he saw, Samuel saw what God saw in him, he anointed him with oil and said, you're the king over Israel. And let me just tell you something. Unless David was willing to keep and be responsible and manage a few sheep, Do not despise the day of small things in your life. It won't stay small forever. But God, sure enough, is going to check you out to see what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. And if you'll take care and manage what he gives you properly. So he looked to see what David would do. And David was responsible over sheep that were his father's and not even his own. And God said, all I need you to do is learn how a sheep thinks and learn how a sheep eats and how a sheep eats and how it sleeps and how its wool has to be managed and taken care of and what they're afraid of and what they're good at. And I want you to know everything about them. And if you can do that over three sheep, I know you can do it over thousands of my sheep in Israel. This morning I was here at 4.30 in the morning, I was praying, I was walking this altar right here, believing God for a great day for all of us, and just just pouring it out before the Lord. And as I'm pouring it out before the Lord, thinking about the message, God reminds me of Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61 is what he gave my wife and I to start this church uh, way back in 1999. And before I ever met anybody here, uh, he gave me this this scripture, and he said, this is going to be your mission, your purpose, and the vision of this church. It will never change. This is what it is. Isaiah 61. I want, I want to read this to you because this go, it works perfectly in what I'm talking about today. This is what it says. <clears throat> the, verse 1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives, the open of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. By the way, this is my first message I preached in that little stinky 30 little chaired room up on Layton Avenue in a Howard Johnson. This is my very first message I preached. Isaiah 61, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion. Look at this, to give them beauty. For ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, and they, who were the they's, the ones that were downcast, the ones that needed consoling, the ones that needed comfort, the one that had ashes, the one that had heaviness, come on somebody, the ones that were forgotten about, the misfit, they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the form of desolation, they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolation of many generations, what does this say? He said, son, when they come in this door, in the doors of this church, you don't see them like they see them. You don't see them down. You don't see them discouraged. You don't see them depressed. You don't see them their life all messed up. You don't see them with all the devils they got in their life and on their life and all about their life. I want you to see them as a tree of righteousness. You're not acting like we've had revival for four or five months. You're acting like we used to act. I want to see some people that are ready to manage the work of God in them. Come on. (laughs) You're almost there. If God's calling you to be a part of this church, what are you waiting for? This ain't supposed to be your vacation church. You'll come over here and get some. I'm going to go and I'm slipping on the faith this today. I'm going to get what I need. No, you don't need that. We don't need any more of that. We need some people that will commit to what God is doing in this house and sign up growth track today. That's your, that's your entry level. That's how you get in this church. Sign up today and you don't have to join the church at the end of class, but at least you get a chance to know a little bit more about us. You'll find out about yourself as well and it happens next week, so don't miss out about that. I remember, guys, I remember all of this. I remember uh, having those moments and saying, Lord, what is going on in my world? What's going on in my life? Not knowing for sure what was happening, but he was making me responsible for even the mess so that I could have a message. Making me responsible for the test so I could have a testimony. Come on, church. He's looking for somebody. Somebody. Look what it says here in Luke 13, verse 6. And he spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, Look for three years. Now, this is the owner talking to the farmer. Look for three years. I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Look at his remedy for this. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? I said this last week. We like the Jesus that shows us mercy but have trouble with the Jesus that holds us accountable. Joel Osteen don't preach like that. I'm sorry. I love him. He'll tell you everything's mercy and grace, and that's his anointing. That's what he's supposed to be doing. I'll talk about where the rubber meets the road, real life, and making you responsible, and getting you to understand that life isn't like that all the time. You walk through hell sometimes, and you better know why you're walking through hell or the devil will take you there with him. That's how I preach. And I'm not stopping. I know and recognize we're in a war and we better get on our war gear. I'm, I'm not backing down for no man, for nobody. We're going in, guys. I'm taking this church in. I'm taking this in if it's five of us. We're going in. And I know it's going to be a lot more than that. So he says, I want you to be responsible. He calls us to manage what he gives us. He puts the man in the garden. He says, manage the work of my hands. He says, have dominion and authority and keep and till the ground. I make you responsible. I'm going to make you accountable for what I give you. So Jesus is revealing the heart of the Father in Luke chapter 13. He's revealing the Father's disappointment over not seeing an investment on the land or rather on the seed that he sowed into the ground. In verse 7 through 9, then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, the owner says to the vineyard keeper, look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none, cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it, remember that, until I dig around it, until I fertilize it, remember that. The owner of the vineyard was truly expecting fruit that he could enjoy from the tree that he had planted but he found none he had disappointment john 15:8 by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. You've got to do what you've got to do to have yourself bearing fruit in this life. You cannot take the lazy man approach and say one day it'll all come together. No, honey, unless you're willing to put yourself on the line and work it and toil with that ground. Come on, somebody, and believe God for it. It's not going to happen. That word glorified is the word resemble. By this, my Father is resembled that you bear much fruit. When we bear fruit, we resemble the Father. He wants us to have much fruit. So now we have the Jesus who's looking to see what the return is on his investment. And here he has come to the conclusion that this tree is not a giver. It's a taker. It takes everything you give it, but has no desire to give back. God provided the soil. God provided the rain. God provided the sunlight. He gives it a farmer. He gives it a caretaker. He gives you a pastor who will till it and fertilize it and prune it and take care of it. But this tree has decided it will only take. It will not give back of its fruit. Church, is very difficult to trust someone when you do all the heavy lifting. When you're the only one who picks up the check. When you are the one who keeps your word. When you do all the praying. When you are the one that shows up early and on time. When you do the loving and caring in the relationship. When you're the one that's responsible and takes care of what needs to be done. It's very difficult to trust those and to build a life with those who live for themselves only. But expect everybody else to take care of them. And that can transfer from your life right into this church. It's the same spirit that hits your life and your people in your life as it does right here in the house of God. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme. Give My name is Jimmy. I'm here to get what I want. Gimme what I want. Gimme what I need. I'm here to eat up the resources. Now, you don't say that. But with your actions, is exactly what you do. Don't give a dime. When it comes time to clean the church, you don't show up. You put your name on the line. You say, I'm going to be here. You don't keep true to your word. I'm, I'm going to tell it like it is because it needs to be said. And I have done this my whole life, and I'm going to keep doing it the way God wants me to do it. And I love you with all my heart, and I want you back next week. But if that's, this is what's going to separate us, let it be so. This needs to be said. The truth of the matter is the body of Christ is weak and anemic. We, want it, we say we're in war, but we're actually not in war. We're still in somebody's basement thinking about going into battle, but we're too afraid to go in battle. We won't get up and do anything for God. But, buddy, we know all the stats of the Green Bay Packers, honey. We know the latest movie and the one who directed it. We got all the scoop, come on, on TMZ. How come I'm preaching better than you want to shout this thing? If you shout, we won't know what you're talking about, you. You got to break this tradition that's been man-made that the church is here to meet your need. And when I'm done getting what I want, I'm out, preacher. I'll see you next time. Keep on going. You ain't doing anybody a service here. There are takers and there are makers. There are people who will take from your life and people that will make life better for you. Do we have any makers in the house today? I believe we do. People who will give of the fruit of their life, their life skills, and their livelihood to make everything around them better. To make their families better, their jobs better, their neighborhoods better, the house of God better, the kingdom of God better. These makers not only produce fruit and become fruitful to resemble their heavenly father, but they rejoice and generously give of that fruit to make life a better place to live in. Where's my makers at this morning? I said, first service, don't even get me started on the fakers. That's a different sermon altogether. Let me just say, God is the ultimate fruit inspector. And in this story that Jesus is telling, he is saying, I've waited for three years, man. And I have found nothing for my investment. I planted and I got nothing in return. I could have given this spot to another tree. That's why he said, cut it down and plant a new one there. You could have done that two years ago. Why are, we, why are we at year three? I could have received fruit by now. What's he saying? I put greatness in this tree, but it never shows me greatness. I put ideas in this tree, but it never shows me ideas. I put strength in this tree, but it never shows me strength. I put helps in this tree, but it never helps anybody. I put abilities in this tree, but it never gives me of their abilities. I want you to cut this thing down. I'm done. But then mercy shows up, Mm, Jesus, and the keeper says, hold on now. Hold on. I, I know you got a right to say that. And I know you're the owner of the vineyard. What's he doing? He's interceding on behalf of the tree. He's interceding. He's saying, slow down now. Could you just give me some more time? You see, owner, I believe in this tree. And I recognize now, I should have given it attention three years ago, but I didn't give it the attention that it needed. I just need a little more time. I beg of you, let me get in there, dig around it. Let me fertilize. Let me go ahead and take care of something. Give me just a little more time. I believe in this. And that's what Jesus is saying to us today. When are we know we're going to get real with the Almighty and get on our face before God and say, Lord, I have not produced the fruit in my life I should have produced by now. And I'm sorry. Don't cut me down. Give me another year. Let me show you what I can do. Do we have some people that want some fruit in their life? And if you say you've never been in that place, you are a liar. I've been there. I cried out to God and said, please give me another opportunity. Oh, God, I've done it more than one time in my life. I recognize now. I didn't give it the attention I should have given. Forgive me. I want a shot. I want a chance. I want to prove that this thing can live. Please, The farmer can't let go of that promise of that seed. He can't let go. And even in the face of God, he said, remember, God said, Moses, I'm done. These stiff-necked, rebellious people, it's over. I'm taking them all out. I'm going to start a brand new group of people with just you. Are you with me? He said, no, I'm not with you. What did he say? He said, Lord, repent from the thing you have said. He intercedes on behalf of a nation who was stiff-necked, rebellious people who wanted their way and not God's way, but he saw something in them. What was he seeing? What God ultimately saw. And you know what God was saying? You're absolutely right. Finally, I have somebody that sees what I see and believes like I believe. And God said, because of your word, Moses, we're going to give him another shot. Because remember, God is just. His judgment is always right. But he's merciful and he's kind and he's long-suffering and he wants to work with us. He don't want to throw nobody away. He loves you. He loves me. Let me ask you, what is God getting from you for all of his investment in your life? I know your job gets your skills and they give you a check for that. But when does God get your skills? I know you're maybe a waiter or a waitress, and that table gets your personality and that great smile. But when does God get that? I know the others get their, your talents and abilities, but when does God get And he don't have to give you a paycheck for it. He gave you the air you're breathing today for free. He's God. Church, is about time we take the advice of Jesus and deal with with the fruitlessness of our lives once and for all, and we can turn this thing around. That's the good news. So the remedy of the owner was cut it down. But the remedy of the father was not yet. Not yet. Let me let me begin. I wish I could use this as an illustrated sermon. It would be great. Let me begin to dig around a little bit. Let me dig around this tree just a little bit. Let me dig around the tree a little bit. What's happening here? He said, watch this now. Why does the farmer dig around a fruitless tree? What's he doing? He's creating instability. What's going on? Because, watch this, when he digs around the tree, it becomes unstable. What it normally can lean on Come on, somebody. They have nothing to lean on anymore. I could preach right there. I could drop it right there and preach. What's happened here? The farmer knows that the tree has maxed out the nutrients in that top soil. So if he don't create instability around the tree, and all of us like to be stable. Nobody likes instability. We like that paycheck coming every week. Come on, somebody. We like our relationships square every single week. We want to make sure things are done. And we want food on the table three times a day. Come on, somebody. We want to make sure everything is our kids, are line, everything. We like order in our lives. And when it gets out of order, we freak out. We don't like it. But sometimes, sometimes when God wants to get more out of you, he's got to create some instability so you can't lean on nothing but him. And when that topsoil is broken up, what happens? What happens? It tells the tree, you're done with this. If you want to live, you got to have your roots grow deeper. Everybody say, I got to go deeper. I got to go deeper. It's not what happens above the surface that matters as much as what's happening below the surface. It's not what's happening on top where everybody can see. It's what's happening below the surface. And nobody wants their world exposed. And those roots will begin to reach and grow deeper to grab the richer nutrients of the soil. We got to go deeper. We got to go deeper. We can't do church once a week. should be five or six times a week. My God. We can't get people here half the time once a month. Should we call them people? They're gone and say, trust me, they'll be back. They're always back. How do you know? They're once a month people. How about them people? Don't even worry about them people. They love us. We love them. But they're every production people. We love about three four times a year. You don't think I don't see that stuff? This is my world. I live it every day. I keep smiling, but I'm here to tell you, I notice stuff. Because you are creatures of habit. If you don't sit in the same spot, I notice. I know you sit. And I'll say, hey, we're so-and-so here today. They say, yeah, they were sitting in the back. Oh, they changed seats on me, see? How about ready to send out the hounds on them, praise God. Yeah, because we got to go deeper. Our relationship with God's got to go deeper and stronger. Church, when you feel like everything's getting unstable around you, he's getting re- you ready for more fruit in your life. And just when you think, oh, okay, I understand now. This is why I've been going through that instability in my life. Oh, it's God making, okay, I can, I can work through that. And all of a sudden, here comes the farmer, and he begins to fertilize. Does anybody know what fertile is? Just when you thought you were getting through it, somebody throws a whole bunch of crap on you. And that doesn't feel right. And it stinks. Come on, someone say amen. Yeah. But it's not for your harm. He's got to fertilize it. So all that junk, that crap, that, that tilling around you, and you think, what's going on, what's going on? It's so that you'll grow deeper in him so you can produce more fruit in your life than you've ever produced in your entire life. If this has happened to you and you felt that instability in your life, it's only because he's made a decision to not cut you down. Somebody give the Lord a shout of praise.